watching the CMR COVID Spotlight. I'm your host, Kevin Watler. Welcome to the show. And uh, while we start to get things started, I would like you to please share this video with your friends. Let everyone that we are live now tonight's show is going to be quite exciting because we do have an emergency room physician that is going to be joining us in just a little bit, Dr. Charles Sand. Again, he is an emergency room physician that will be able to answer your questions that you have on COVID. But before we get into that discussion, I do want to kind of introduce you to a number of videos that was put together by Tampa General Hospital where we have people going behind the scenes and sharing their experiences. feel that it's very important to um, have their experiences shared. Um, again, we've been playing some of them on CMR throughout the last few weeks. But again, we're going to go a little bit more in depth so they can share what they are experiencing dealing with COVID patients. Here we go again. We're seeing another surge and we are back on the front line. This is my first year working in a hospital full-time um, in a chaplain position. It's um, a very unusual year, as you can imagine. Most recently, with this new COVID surge, it feels like I'm back to last August when I first started here, except it's somehow more intense and there's more people. This is like walking down memory lane again, converting another unit to negative airflow to care for our COVID patients. Just seems the last few weeks we've been dealing with just a continuous mass casualty situation. The situation just feels worse than it was at any other point. You have patients that were taken care of literally in the waiting room, admitting them to the hospital without being able to get them out of the lobby. EMS stretchers are lined up waiting to get in. It's really just, it's like nothing I've ever seen. I had a patient who was at end of life and I escorted um, his family members for their one time half hour end of life visit. I was there for them in that in that COVID room for as they said goodbye and um when they came out after like an hour just the way that PPE works is it sticks to your skin and makes you sweat so much because you're just wearing plastic for an hour however long you're in that room and I could just see all the sweat on on their family um as they were taking it off and having just a very emotional goodbye and all I could think was this is your last time seeing him and there's a lot of complex emotions knowing how he got sick um, from his unvaccinated family members and just the complexity of that and just how hard it was for, for his wife to leave the room knowing that that was the last time she's going to see him. It Like you see that sort of thing in Hallmark movies that are really sad and that just happened on a Tuesday for me. Our whole team is tired, struggling to, you know, make sure we have enough people there to care for all of the patients that are arriving. I think we're all exhausted. The staff is exhausted. I just stood and listened to what a COVID ICU nurse just go off and let her cuss, let her say what she needed to say in private and then in um, just to me if that helps her get through her day, because I think that's kind of the theme of how this whole hospital feels right now. So that's where we're at. You know, it's 
adding to the frustration is just the fact that uh, so much of this feels like it could be avoidable if more people were vaccinated. You know, I hope that that starts to change soon as people see what we're going through. There's a lot of talk about this current surge in patients as a wave, and it's it's pretty appropriate, um, you know, like a tidal wave, except that instead of water, it's a wave of people uh, struggling to breathe. Every day I come to work, I feel like I'm going to war. Uh, I feel like it's a battlefield, and there are many cases that I, I'm doing my best, I'm doing all I can for the patient, but it's, it's a battle. People, they don't believe that this is a real thing. I, I mean, I work this entire hospital as a respiratory therapist, I can tell you right now that people are dying every really? single day. The patients are sicker, and they're also younger, and it's just extremely disheartening to sit at the bedside with your patient holding their hand moments before they're getting intubated and them just crying out and wishing that they had gotten vaccinated. It's so sad to watch the patients who don't make it out of the emergency department um, to the ones that you send to the ICU just with a prayer. And, um, you know, you go from being sad uh, to just then being angry. Um, angry that uh, that there's a, a lot of misinformation and disinformation out there um, that's really tripping people up. What more can we say? What more can we do to, to impress upon um, people that this is real, uh, that people are, are dying, people are really suffering uh, from this? If you're scared to get vaccinated or you don't know who to believe, there are people that will help you. If you don't understand why you should wear a mask, there are people that can help you. And those people don't live on YouTube and they don't live on Facebook. Ask your pharmacist, ask your doctor. You know, we're here, sorry, but I don't wanna see you get sick. Um, if we could just remember to just be kind to one another, that would be great. We are seeing a lot more PEDS patients admitted, a lot of teenagers that are needing a lot of oxygen. Kids are getting sick from this. When we go out and try to say anything to anybody, it's kind of like falling on deaf ears. Who wants to hear what we have to say? Who wants to hear the scary stuff? The rate of infections in pediatric patients was nothing like it has been in the last month and a half. And unfortunately, because of no mask mandates and limited social distancing, more and more pediatric patients are becoming infected. And because of that exponential rise, we're seeing sicker kids. There was this sense last year that if you were young, healthy, that you were fine. And that's not the case. It's stressful and frustrating to see it happening to these children because 
we know that some of these infections could be prevented. If parents got vaccinated, they may not get infected at work and bring it home to their newborn who may then need to be hospitalized. The 16 year old at school could have been vaccinated and that may have prevented a severe infection that ended up requiring her to be in the ICU on a ventilator. This time around, the surge is different. It's really a pandemic of the unvaccinated. It's frustrating when nobody's listening. You know, it's, it's frustrating when the younger kids that can't get vaccinated aren't wearing their mask. That's something easy to do that can protect them and keep them from getting so sick. We have a lot of people in the ICU that are unvaccinated and as they get sicker, all of them ask for any therapy that we have to offer, anything that science has to offer, asking for things that aren't necessarily even proven or tried. And it's always striking to me that there was something that was simple, safe and effective that they could have done weeks before to prevent all of this. We are all emotionally exhausted. We're spent from having difficult conversations with family members, from losing patients. We are all really struggling to just keep our heads above the water right now. We're all pretty traumatized. It's tiresome to watch people die all the time. Hard to be so sick that they're reaching for their, their family members that unfortunately sometimes we don't have the time to help them talk to. Um, but we're doing the best we can and um, stay safe out there. with a lot of very sick kids, a lot of scary situations, but I've never encountered anything as relentless and unforgiving and terrifying as what we're going through right now. Well, the Delta variant really kind of changed the game for us because we weren't seeing that many children. Now we're starting to see it in the ICU and the families are just reeling from this because these are normal, healthy children that are suddenly just really struck down with this disease. When kids have COVID, they struggle to breathe and a lot of them go on respiratory support. It, it's so difficult for families to watch their child suffer to that extent. I don't want to see a sickle cell kid or a cystic fibrosis kid get COVID because it will decimate them. It could kill them easily, very easily. COVID is a very scary experience when you're in the hospital. You have patients who are air hungry, they're struggling for breath. and as scary as that is for adults, imagine what it's like for kids to go through that. We're supposed to take care of our kids. Like that's the most basic like tenet of society. We take care of children, right? Like the idea that people refuse to vaccinate and prevent the spread of this to kids is really upsetting to all of us in pediatrics. The kids, many of them are too young to even get the immunization. And so they're at the mercy of everyone around them as the adults, it's our responsibility to protect them. We have a really good way to get out of these pandemics, but people are choosing not to. They are not believing the science. They are not believing their doctors. Being out in the community and not seeing people responsible can be so frustrating when you're sitting here taking care of these sick kids 
that are suffering so much. Every day I just come into work and wonder, is this going to be the first pediatric death that I see at TGH from COVID? Because it's, it's gonna happen. It's just a matter of time with the way the numbers are going. And every day I just wonder if this is gonna be the day. It's not that we're numb. It's that it, it all feels the same. It all feels frustrating. It all feels sad and it's all, it all takes a piece of your soul every single time that you do it. It just takes everything from you, honestly. We are putting our children at risk and we are calling on all of you to stand up and help us please protect our children. All eligible people should be vaccinated. They need our support, our care, and our commitment to their future and they need it now. Please help us protect our children. day driving home is a opportunity for self-reflection on what I could have done better and the reality is we're just trying to survive. My team and I were busting our, our butts every single day on these front lines. We're seeing patients that are younger, they're decompensating quicker. I know we're not alone in this but it's, it's definitely um, peaking. There's so many patients coming into the ER and we're scrambling daily to create more patient rooms. Sometimes it's three o'clock in the morning, sometimes midnight. We're scrambling every day. There's patients that you're checking on multiple times a day. You go in the room, you do everything you can, your best sometimes isn't good enough. I remember a lady and she was crying, trying to to say that she doesn't like to, to die. And it was very hard to, to me see this, this lady and crying and saying all the time, I don't want to die, I don't want to die. These patients are not seeing go home. When we look at them and think about our families, we think about their families and how they're dealing with this. It's not easy. It's, it's not been easy by any means. The hardest part is when the patients are asking you to save them. They're, they can't breathe and they're telling you, please save me, save me, do everything you can to keep me alive. And we're doing everything we can. There's just nothing you can do. Just run out of options. Having a background in uh, nursing and public health, the lack of uh, widespread vaccination utilization is, is perplexing to me because what seems so simple is being politicized and tainted with misinformation. The rampant spread of misinformation is preventing us as a nation, as a state, as a community from progressing and, and getting past this together. If a year ago you would have asked me, are you okay? Absolutely. I, I think we all walked in ready for war, right? We were the heroes. And now, who are we? We're ostracized for being vaccinated we're ostracized for wearing masks we're we're the ones though that at the end of the day when you're scared and you're tired and you don't know if you can take another breath we're holding your hands we're crying with your family and we are the ones trying to make a difference
people think that you're just pregnant and you're gonna have a baby and all these things are gonna be great, they don't realize that pregnant women are actually considered immunocompromised. There seems to be a misconception that because you're young and otherwise healthy, you're not at risk or you'll come out of it just fine. Some of our sickest patients have been 22, 23 years old with no comorbidities aside from the pregnancy. It's just, it's very overwhelming right now and it's very sad. Moms who have no other pre-existing conditions, just young, healthy moms. But because of pregnancy, COVID is hitting them in a different way and it's causing premature deliveries. The NICU is very busy and it's definitely really scary. Um, I think everyone's scared of what's gonna happen. Young moms, younger than me, pregnant and really sick. You have to call the ICU team because this woman has to be intubated and you're watching that fetus. Do I need to deliver her? Because is that gonna make her more comfortable to breathe? I'm constantly thinking about the mom and the baby and when is the right time for a delivery? We do deliver babies in the intensive care units because the mothers are so sick. Because now we have a, a sick baby who was born too early, we can care for that baby, but with no family members able to visit because mom is COVID positive. My son's 26 years old and I miss him when he's away from me. So I can only imagine just like with the, being a newborn, not being able to bond. It's like heartbreaking to see a baby and a mom not be together and to be separated. And the baby's looking at me in all this PPE when really it should be skin to skin with mom. The whole thing's just, it's always just sad. You see these, you know, young women who are here, what's supposed to be one of the happiest days of their life, enjoying their pregnancy, having baby showers, designing their nursery, and they're sick, sick as can be. I have a lot of emotions. I have grief for the patients that are really sick. I have anger for the people that don't do their part. I have sadness and sympathy for all the people that I work with that are just like so overwhelmed. We have nurses that don't cry about anything and they're crying at the end of the shift because it's just, it's just too much right now. The moms are sicker, the families are suffering, the healthcare workers are just overworked tremendously. Some days you ask yourself, is being a nurse even worth it? It's just really exhausting to be on the front line of this and people just don't understand. I just got back from another shift in the emergency department. And while the tidal wave of COVID patients seems to have slowed down, we're still seeing lots and lots of patients every day that are short of breath, that are critically ill, and nearly every one of them is not vaccinated. My fear is that people are going to see that the numbers are going down. And for those who have not yet gotten vaccinated, that's gonna sway them into thinking that it's no longer necessary or important for them to do so. And that terrifies me because when it's you or your loved one who's facing the possibility of a breathing tube and a ventilator and not going back home to your family, the total number of cases doesn't mean anything. It's hard when you don't see it every day. It's very easy to imagine that this is all just going away, but when you see patients dying every hour of every day for eight hours, five days a week, 
you know that this is really happening. I think about a, a patient I supported. I was the only visitor for this patient because his family also contracted COVID as well. Inside here, we're facing a great war that uh, the public doesn't really know or understand. For our team as a whole, seeing just how many have passed so far, today we had just like a lineup of grievance cards. Mailing out five sympathy cards to families that have lost their loved ones. I don't know how as a leader or as a person that that ever becomes okay. I had a patient just last week. He was already requiring a lot of oxygen. He told me that when he gets out, that he has to take care of me and all the other nurses that had taken care of him literally the next day, and he was being put on life support. Why are we still here? Why are we still fighting so hard to get rid of COVID? We have something that can help us. So why aren't we getting vaccinated? I am watching people die and their families having to make the decisions that no family member should ever have to make. What's it going to take? Please, I am begging you, just get vaccinated. When I see people on social media saying that COVID is not real, it makes me so very angry. As a nurse, I'm like, how dare you just shadow me one day, just one day, just an hour. Walk around this unit and see what you see and you will know that COVID is real. I think sometimes it's easy for people that are sitting on the comfort of their own couch, posting on social media about why the vaccine isn't good for you. That's what I find truly frustrating because we are in here and we're seeing it every day. We're watching people die. I understand that people have certain reservations about the vaccines, but you know, you see hospitals full of COVID patients. You don't see hospitals full of patients that are sick because of the vaccine. We've been keeping track of our deaths that have been happening in our ICUs and 100% of these deaths are in the unvaccinated individuals. My father died in April. He was scheduled to get his vaccine the day he was admitted into the hospital, but they didn't have enough back in March. There are vaccines at every store, at every corner, and I'm taking care of people every day who make that choice to not be vaccinated. Don't let your families go through that pain. That pain is something that rips our hearts out every time we have to put your family member in a body bag and then having to do it to our own family who would have done anything to be vaccinated but couldn't be. I have been an ICU nurse for 16 years and I have zipped up more body bags from March of last year to this point than I have in my career. When you are zipping up body bags for two 30-year-olds within 48 hours of one another, you don't get over that. Scientists all over the world are coming to recognize that this is a war that is going to be with us for a while, especially I think living in Florida with our current vaccination rates. This is a war that we're going to have to continue to fight and our best defense against the virus is still vaccination.
and it looks like I had myself on mute. I do apologize, um, but just wanted to um, say those were the doctors um, and medical, the awesome healthcare workers who um, are showcasing what is going on outside of the bubble. You know, Cayman Islands was in a bubble for quite some time. However, things are starting to change. And so even though our hospitals in the Cayman Islands is not overrun with a lot of patients at this time, we want to make sure that we encourage people to get vaccinated, especially since, you know, that is what the medical experts are saying. So we do have Dr. Uh, Sands. He is going to be joining us um, now to the show to answer your questions. If you have any questions for Dr. San, please write it in the chat, as well as you'll be able to um, call on in. You, you saw the, um, you know, the website that you could use. I'll put it in the chat shortly where you could ask your questions directly to Dr. Sand. Um, but right before Dr. Sand uh, comes on, I'm just going to play um, a quick little um, a quick little video um, to show what um, you know some people are saying in regards to getting Cayman ready. And sorry, I'm solo tonight. Usually we have uh, Sandy um, in the background, but she is um, at an event. But uh, here is a reopened Cayman video, and then we'll get to Dr. Sand. But in the meantime, please put your questions in the chat. I'm ready to reopen Cayman because it's time that our friends, family, and tourists are able to come once again and visit our beautiful island. When we open up the borders, travel is going to be freer and we're going to be able to travel between countries better. I'm ready to reopen to be reunited with my loved ones living abroad. I'm ready to reopen. There we go. So welcome to the show, Dr. Sand. And uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, first of all, thank you. It's an honor to be here uh, uh, with Kevin. Uh, beautiful, uh, beautiful shots of the Cayman Islands. I hope to be able to visit someday. I'm an emergency physician and EMS physician in Tampa. I sit on uh, COVID advisory committees, both locally, state, and some nationally. I've been very involved with the American Heart Association. So cardiovascular disease is uh, certainly near and dear to me. Um, but those are some of the things I've uh, done. And I uh, work at St. Joseph's Hospital in uh, Tampa, which is one of the busiest ERs, really in the air, not only the area, but the state. So we've uh, seen a heck of a lot of COVID, uh, unfortunately, some bad COVID cases. So I've got a quick question to you to kind of get us started off. And again, if anyone has any questions, now's the time is to put it in a chat and we'll um, definitely tackle them. But um, when should a COVID positive person um, consider hospitalization, Dr. Sands? Yeah, no, that's a good question. And, and the, the simple answer is when you're in distress, especially if you're having trouble breathing because COVID does affect the lungs, COVID affects the hearts. So if you're having chest pain, things like that. Uh, somewhat, COVID can cause strokes. It causes clots that cause stroke. So if you're, uh, you can't walk, the a person uh, is not responding, they're weak on one side of the body, typical stroke symptoms, uh, those are all uh, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. They, they just get so dehydrated, they can't even get up. When someone's in that state, or hopefully a little before that, uh, they should definitely seek medical attention. 
Now, are there any home remedies um, that people should take when they're at home um, to manage the symptoms? You know, it, it really is like any any illness, viral illness, uh, good old rest and uh, fluids is, is a mainstay um, of that. But, you know, if you're running a fever, you're achy, you can take acetaminophen, which is what's in Tylenol. You can take ibuprofen, which is what's in Advil or Motrin. Um, those are some things I do. I would rest and all the usual practices, uh, wash your hands frequently, try to isolate uh, from others as much as possible in your home, things like that. But really it comes down to rest and a lot of fluids to really get the blood flowing. And what are some of the medicines that maybe people might have over the counter, things that they might already have in their home that people should stay away from? You know, you, you know, it, it's you want to stay away from things that'll make you dehydrated. Uh, any uh, diuretics, water pills, things like that. Um, uh, alcohol, obviously, you want to avoid caffeine. Causes diuresis, causes you to urinate more and dehydrate you. So you want to stay away from caffeine. Want to stay away from alcohol. Uh, don't smoke. Things like that. But. Um, one of the over-counter medicines, uh, many are okay, but if you're not sure, ask the pharmacist and they can uh, they can help guide you. One thing I probably would mention, I'd probably stay away from aspirin to, in general. It can cause ulcers and things like that if you take too much, especially kids uh, 18 age, 18 and below, you can get what's called RISE syndrome when you have a fever. affects the liver, some liver toxicity. So you want to avoid aspirin especially under 18 years old. So those are some of the things I'd probably uh, try to avoid that are over the counter. So let's take a look at some of the comments that's coming in. We have uh, Rachel asking, um, what is the danger signs to look out for if you are looking after a COVID positive person at home? And uh, what about young children? Do they present differently uh, to adults um, who might be COVID positive? You know, again, it comes down to signs of dehydration. They're just, they can't get up. They can barely talk. I mean, children are like, it can get like that too. Uh, very high fevers that be, can't be controlled. They're having trouble breathing. Uh, they're having chest pain, abdominal pain. They're having, uh, they can't move one side of their body, uh, neurologic symptoms. Uh, but, you know, sick people look sick. Uh, they They just can't even get up. They're... They don't want to eat or drink anything. That's that's when they need to go to the hospital to at least get um, some IV fluids and to evaluate them better, see if they have the pneumonia, things like that, or heart problems or things like that. And take a look from uh, Cameron. Here's a question: uh, Will we ever get rid of COVID? And is there a way we could uh, move forward without political involvement on this matter and have the scientific experts uh, call the necessary shots? Well, the second part, I'm not going to really comment on politics. I wish I could, I wish I could solve that and have more science guide um, guide everybody. But as far as to get rid of COVID, uh, although we once had hopes of it, now we think it's going to be like influenza, like the flu, where it's it's with us forever. It's just hopefully we get better and better vaccines, and we get if it requires annual vaccines, so be it, to really minimize the symptoms. So that's what we're hoping, but. Um, I think more and more experts are thinking it's going to be with us, if not a long time, maybe forever, uh, just hopefully not as severe as it's been. 
And now Carol is asking in the UK, uh, so, the, so the UK approved the use of an antiviral drug. Um, and of course, it was the very first country to do so. What exactly is the drug and how um, excited are you um, about its promise in treating COVID? Yeah, what it is, is, is it's a pill. It's an antiviral pill. And think of it, we've done this with other diseases such as AIDS, HIV. We have pills uh, that people take. Well, this pill by Merck is looking very promising. Uh, if I recall, it cut hospitalizations and deaths in half. So it looks very promising. And the UK is the first country, as mentioned, uh, to start utilizing it. So we just have to see uh, as it, it's used more and more, if it does pan out to really help people that much who have COVID, at least cut the hospitalizations and deaths like it has. So am I excited? Absolutely. It's, it's, potentially, um, it's potentially a game changer where you don't have to get something by intravenous. You can get it by pill. That would be, uh, that'd be astounding. Yeah, because right now they have the monoclonal antibody treatment, which I guess is somewhat similar, but, you know, that is done by um, either getting injections or um, getting it through IV. Um, but again, this would be something a little easier um, for individuals. Again, it doesn't work if you're already hospitalized and sick. It's something that you really got to take early on. And it's right. not cheap. Right, right. Well, yeah, hopefully, um, hopefully it'll pan out. But uh, uh, that was good. Someone brought that up. Another question that uh, we have are um, why are some approved? Uh, why are some approved and some aren't? So I'm guessing that that question is related to maybe some vaccines and other things that's under review. Um, would you be able to comment on maybe some of um, you know what it takes to um, have things reviewed or approved for use in, in patients? Yeah, you know, I mainly can comment on the United States uh, through the FDA, CDC. They, they really look at rigorous, they want rigorous trials um, that with, with thousands of people in their trials, they really look for all side effects, things like that. So they really rigorously look at the data uh, before it gets either emergency authorization or full FDA approval. Um, so they put it through a, a rigorous demand. So I, I can't really comment on other countries as much, but in the United States, uh, they look at the data carefully, and that's why um, that's why so far we've only have three vaccines approved because those are the only three that have made it through the uh, uh, thus far in the United States, at least the rigorous trials. And I'm just to give you some perspective. The Cayman Islands um, only has um, two ma mainly that are given there. It's going to be Pfizer and AstraZeneca, which I know is not yet approved in the United States, but AstraZeneca is available. For those who don't want Pfizer, the UK government um, really provided um, the Pfizer vaccine for individuals. And, and so the bulk of vaccinations in the Cayman Islands, again, is the Pfizer vaccine. Um, but Cameron's asking again, is COVID really here to stay? What are your thoughts on that? I'd, I'd like to say no, but my gut tells me uh, and, and a lot of other people, yes, it's, uh, it's here to stay. But hopefully we can... Uh, get it under control and then it'll be just like the common cold where it can knock you out, but, uh, or, or influenza can really knock you out. And we think that's what it's going to be like in the future. We, we think better and better therapies are going to be around the corner. As you said, you know, in the UK, uh, they're already using the pill. So, um, uh, we'll, we'll get, we'll get there, but, um, where it's like the common cold or influenza, but, 
it's probably here to stay, unfortunately. I'd like to tell you no, but we don't know, but hopefully not. <laughs> Got another question from Rachel. How long um, do COVID patients typically need to spend in the hospital and uh, what sort of help uh, do they need after to recover? And that, that might go into the long COVID uh, topic. Yeah, no, that's a good question. It really, it, it just depends. Everybody's different. It depends, for example, do you have other things going on? Do you have diabetes, kidney disease, heart disease, lung disease, uh, the immuno, uh, immunosuppressed? Uh, are you on immunosuppressant agents? Things like that where it's harder to fight these infections. That's what really, obesity is another one, uh, risk factor. Those are all risk, what we call risk factors that make it harder to fight these and they can be hospitalized longer and afterwards need more rehabilitation and help getting their strength back, their lungs back. And as Kevin alluded to, some people do have what's called long haulers. And that's not just hospitalized patients. Uh, you can have mild, mild COVID symptoms and just have symptoms that stay for many, many months, uh, especially breathing problems and chest pain. Uh, I know uh, a number of the taste, loss of taste, loss of smell that can last many months. So we, we see a lot of what we call long haulers. Um, but, it, you know, unfortunately, uh, sometimes we can't predict, but we can predict who probably won't do well. And those are people with other issues. That's why if you have other things going on, you ought to get checked out sooner, either your doctor or the hospital. So I just want to remind everyone um, that if you want to join and ask your question directly, um, the URL is now at the bottom of the screen. So you could uh, certainly call on in and uh, ask Dr. Sand uh, your question. But Dr. Sand, you know, the rates um, of vaccination in the Cayman Islands is pretty significant. Let's take a look at some of the data um, here in um, the Cayman Islands. But um, the latest report just came out and it shows um, that 80% of the population is um, they, they've received at least one dose of the vaccine and 77% uh, received both jabs. They're fully vaccinated. What are your thoughts on that? No, those are uh, absolutely astounding uh, numbers. I mean, the United States is uh, not at those numbers at this point. Um, so that's you, you, you've done a phenomenal job. Or your country's done a phenomenal job getting uh, the vaccine not only available, but people receptive to take it. Um, you're well protected. You're, you're very well protected. I'm not going to tell you um, people can't get very sick, but um, I would venture to say you're you're getting up there where you're pretty, pretty protected uh, country. Those are great numbers. Uh, congratulations. Yeah. And the latest data shows that, you know, since the last report, uh, 126 people um, tested positive. So, you know, that's that's quite a quite a bit of them. Only one of them was a, a traveler who came in, but um, 125 of them were, you know, from community spread. So, you know, that Delta variant is really starting to pick on up. Um, and then over in the Sister Islands, you know, it, they do have 76 active cases um, that are are going on um, based on the latest, um, you know, information that came in. And out of the active cases, uh, cases, sorry, throughout the entire Cayman Islands, more than uh, 1,400 people, um, you know, are active cases. But the hospitalization rate continues to, to kind of creep up. 11 people are now hospitalized. I think the last report, if I remember correctly, um, was either four or five. Um, and, and again, you know, as cases start to increase, we're going to start seeing 
more hospitalizations. Yeah, just, people just need to continue to do their part, get vaccinated, but also wear masks, uh, certainly inside environments uh, whenever feasible and uh, hand washing, social distancing, whatever possible. Um, yeah, just do the best you can uh, to keep those numbers down. Yeah, I know one of the good things, though, of those hospitalized, only two are on supplemental oxygen, um, and no one's on a ventilator, which is, is great because, um, you know, let's talk about kind of the, the how, how things kind of progress, um, you know, when someone, you know, is not going in the right direction. Let's walk us through um, what, what can happen. Yeah, two, two main things COVID does. Uh, one is blood clots, cause blood clots to the lung, to the heart, to the brain. Um, and cause symptoms that way. The other thing it does in the lungs is it causes a, a sort of a leakage in the uh, the lung tissue and what we'll call a cytoko cytokine storm where it just floods the, uh, floods the lungs with all sorts of fluid and uh, inflammatory cells and things like that. And it, it fills up the lung with fluid and the person can't breathe and uh, hopefully high flow oxygen will help them. But sometimes, unfortunately, we need to put people on ventilators, uh, basically a tube down their throat and put on a breathing machine. And uh, that's great that you haven't had it. But those are the two typical things with COVID is an inflammatory process and a clotting process. And that's what causes uh, uh, many of the severe symptoms. So I've got another question. What would be your message to someone who is not vaccinated? Uh, besides get vaccinated, uh, you know, it, it, what I try to tell people is, um, uh, as you saw the Tampa General video, the most the majority of people we're seeing that are very sick and getting hospitalized, getting in the ICU, getting on ventilators, other people that are not vaccinated. But if you don't believe it and... Uh, don't want to do it for yourself, do it for your family, for your friends, because you can be an asymptomatic carrier um, and uh, spread it to your family and spread it to more susceptible, especially people over 65 years old uh, in your family, things like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, we're, we'd like to, uh, there's a lot of misinformation on the internet. I'd be happy to um, go over any information or myths, what we call myths or uh, information that's not based on science. Um, happy to do that. But I understand there's a fear of the vaccines, but vaccines have been around for hundreds of years and they've done very, very well. And when you compare it to COVID itself, it, it, COVID does much more damage. What are we in the United States? We're at seven, over 700,000 deaths. Um, from, from COVID, uh, just astronomical numbers, then we can avoid, could have avoided the majority of that uh, with a vaccine. So, you know, I believe in it. I've, the people I see in the emergency room in the hospital, the ones that get sick are the ones that are not vaccinated. I'm seeing it right on the front line. So Nona's asking, how do you respond to people who say that COVID-19 is no different than the flu and uh, how are the symptoms different? Well, the part that's similar is it's a virus and you'll feel virally and get fever and things like that. How it's different is the flu does not cause clotting. This thing causes blood clots everywhere. Uh, like I said, you can get blood clots in the lungs, pulmonary embolism, to the brain, cause strokes, to the heart, cause heart attacks. Flu does not do that. Uh, the other thing is, again, 
the cytokine cytokine storm that fills the lung with fluid uh, we rarely see that with the flu so you can get very sick with the flu don't get me wrong but uh, if you're not vaccinated for the flu but it's you know people are a lot sicker and many more die um many more die with the uh, COVID than influenza so got a question from christine she's asking what pre-existing illnesses are dangerous to have the vaccines what pre-existing are dangerous to have the vaccines um i'll i'm not sure if this answers it but that's actually the people you want to have vaccinated the ones with pre-existing illnesses uh, kidney problems diabetes lung problems heart problems those are the ones that are most susceptible to really getting very sick with covid those are the ones you want to have the vaccine as far as i i have seen the only people you don't want to get the vaccine are those that have a severe severe reaction to the vaccine or the solution it's in and that's extremely rare very extremely rare that we uh we see that and again much more dangerous to get covid so who are we seeing showing up to the hospitals? Are they vaccinated people or unvaccinated people? I'd say in the 90 plus percent um, that people come to the hospital are not vaccinated. So the and, and the ones that are vaccinated are the ones that have pre-existing illness and just their body and immune system just can't fight it. So. The majority of people who are healthy, vaccinated, we don't see those people. I believe that's kind of why they kind of decided to do the third shot or the booster shot as well, especially for those who have a lot of other pre-existing health conditions. Exactly. And anyone who's uh, five or six months out from their second shot um, uh, or or first shot, J&J is really two months out. Um, we're recommending a booster to really do that boost up their immune system so they can fight COVID better, sort of like a bug zapper. As soon as it gets in the body, it gets zapped. Well, that's what the immune system done once, it, once it's primed with the vaccine. So that's what we're trying to do. Almas is asking, uh, hi, Kevin, how does one know the difference from sinus infection and COVID um, as both seems to come with the same symptoms? What would be your, your recommendations on that? Yeah, I mean, usually with sinus infection, I, the people I see in the emergency department, uh, they know it's a sinus infection. They've had it before. Their sinuses are clogged up again. Uh, they're having some pain, a little bit of drainage, things like that. But these people are not nearly as sick as the COVIDs I see in the hospital in the emergency department. They're much sicker. It's not just the sinus. It's multi-system. They're weak. They're dehydrated. They have very high fevers. And I usually rarely if ever see that with um, with sinus infection but there is some overlap but um, not much to be honest COVID patients are much sicker so we got another one from Cameron with the reports of false positives how can we bring confidence to the stats reported if there is um, no misunderstanding to stop people from living their lives so false positives on on, on tests well, you want to yeah, you know, the tests have gotten better and better uh, during this year and a half of COVID. And we really don't, I'm not going to tell you, we never see a false positive, but we don't see that many false positives anymore. And then there's a, the what we call the rapid test, 
which can pick up a large majority, but it can miss some. And then we really want to be have a detailed, good test that rarely has false positive. It's the, what's called a PCR test. And that's uh, really measuring a little more DNA uh, type of information. So there are different tests, but the tests are much better um, than they were when we first started with this disease. And I guess just on testing, Rachel's asking, are lateral flow tests generally accurate? And lateral flow tests, um, you know, in the States, we call it the antigen rapid test, like, like, like the Binax Now test. Um, in the UK, they're calling it more lateral test. That's kind of the name. I know it's not as familiar in the US, um, but, but uh, how accurate are those? Yeah, I mean, the rapid tests are, are still, I'd, I'd say, 85%, maybe approaching uh, high 80s. Uh, accurate, but yes, it can it can miss some, and that's why when we say this got to be COVID, they're having symptoms, they're sick. We'll do the PCR, and that'll that'll get us to the high nineties. You know, it's no test is one hundred percent, but uh, the PCR um, pieces of strands of DNA are really much more accurate. But the rapids are, like I said, the rapids are much better than they were when they first came out. Yeah, and one of the things with the rapid as well too, or you know, the lateral flow test is that you know you get a result more or less instantly. When you have yeah. thousands or hundreds of tests being carried out in a day, that takes a number of of hours to really process, and you multiply that, um, the the numbers just don't add up, and you want to quickly identify whether it's COVID or not, and so. You know, it's, even though the accuracy might not be as good as the PCR test, you certainly have, um, you know, at least some sort of results. It's just like, you know, I've, I've, I've compared it in the past to like a pregnancy test. You know, there's, you know, not it's not 100% necessarily accurate when, when someone takes one, but, you know, you want to follow up with your doctor to really get a, um, a good solid answer. Um, but at least it could give you an idea what's going on. So, um, you know, that's the way I kind of sometimes describe that. Yeah, that, no, that's a good way to say it. I mean, we're going to treat a positive like a positive. They're they're pretty accurate for positives. Just if they're negative and they still, we're, we're still questioning whether they have COVID and it's important to find out, then uh, we will do the next step. But they're 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 pretty good. So if someone um, accepts the risk and saying, I'm just not going to get vaccinated, I, I know what the data is showing. I know what you're saying about vaccine. I know what your recommendations are. You know, as a physician, walk me through what you you would kind of talk to your patients and how you would kind of try to address that. Yeah. Um, well, if if they're absolutely going to refuse to get it, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, all we can do is ask them to at least try to wear a mask, uh, try to be protective when you're around your family, especially members of your family who are older, more susceptible. Uh, we'd like that, but um, you know, well, I. I you know, I usually try to, add, if someone's just refusing to get it, um, I'll ask them, what's your concern? And I'll tell them, well, that's, you know, a myth. That's not information that's very accurate. We haven't seen that, what you're talking about. Um, we haven't seen that based on the data. So, and like I said, try to, if you're not going to protect yourself, t uh, protect your family. And uh, it'd be terrible if you couldn't celebrate future events with your family and weddings and other birthdays and other celebrations um, because you're not around if you did get COVID and you're one of the unlucky people to get very sick. So that's how I try to approach it. But if someone absolutely will not get vaccinated, at least uh, try to wear a mask and 
um, try not to go around people that are, especially that are susceptible. So that's probably the best thing I can say on that. And I know you've touched on it a little bit before, but who's really more at risk of having severe illness and COVID? You know, anyone whose immune system's not working uh, um, very healthy and has trouble fighting infections, that can be uh, people really with many, many problems, uh, sickle cell, diabetes, uh, high blood pressure, heart disease, kidney disease, history of stroke, uh, people like that. And people on... Uh, uh, agents that do minimize the immune system on purpose, like rheumatoid arthritis and uh, many of the arthritis is they can be on very strong and potent immunosuppressants. So, uh, and of course, like, as I mentioned, the elderly are, are certainly uh, more susceptible to death, um, and getting very sick. So those are the people I, I categorize as at much higher risk. And we really want to get vaccinated, if at all possible. So, you know, healthcare workers are, are likely in the Cayman Islands going to get a little bit busier because, you know, people are either going to be going to the doctors or, you know, getting sick a lot more, whether they're vaccinated, not vaccinated. There's just going to be more illness coming along, not just because of COVID, but we might have flu entering um, because we're just about to enter the flu season as well. Um, you know, I know you work in emergency rooms and stuff, but, you know, if you're speaking to, you know, your, your fellow healthcare colleagues across the pond, um, you know, what what would be some of your tips to them on, on what they should kind of be looking out for and how they should start, you know, mentally preparing? Um, make sure you have, if at all possible, the right uh, equipment uh, for this for healthcare workers. You're talking about, yeah, the, yeah. the protective gear, the masks, plenty of masks. And uh, if you can do it, negative airflow, things like that. That's that's the kind of things we did in RER back in March, April, May of 2020. When it first came out, we really had to ramp it up and, and get these protective equipment. And at that time, ventilators uh, we needed because there were really were no therapies out there um, at that point. So um, uh, just just and, and make sure everybody's prepared for a, a real onslaught and uh, try to get as much help as you can uh, ahead of time because people are going to be exhausted. As you saw in the tape, uh, they're, they're going to get sick themselves and have to go out and people are going to have to cover for them. So those are the kind of things that we, um, that we saw, uh, especially that first uh, three to six months, we, uh, really had no idea it was going to be that bad that quickly, but it was. So you know, those are some of the things I try to get ready for and just keep trying to prompt people to get vaccinated and wear masks and frequent hand washing, things like that, to try to minimize uh, the spread. Yeah. And, and some people, you know, they, they say that the people are lying. The, the data is just not true. What would you say to, to folks that might have that, that comment? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I could see how they might believe that um, walking around outside and not seeing anyone sick, but I'm the one seeing uh, on the front line. We're seeing uh, tons of sick people, as you heard, lots of luckily it is easing off in the Tampa area and Florida. But um, it was it was a, just a mess. July, August, a little bit of September. Um, we were just so inundated. If you could have seen how many people were sick in the ICU 
overflowing our hospitals. Uh, could We had many, many hours of waits for patients in the ER. Uh, you know, when you're on the front line, you see what it does. Um, it, it was it was terrible. It was terrible. So if I didn't see it, I wouldn't believe it either, but I saw it. I know that, um, you know, you might not be the actual decision maker, but I know you've also, you know, advised local governments um, and, and provided your feedback to them. And, and this question from Rachel is, do you think all healthcare staff and hospital workers should be vaccinated? So if you were in that position, um, you know, what would be your thoughts on that? Um, I mean, I do. I think, you know, we're, we're not only protecting ourselves and our family, in this case, we're protecting the patients that we're treating. So if there's any leakage or anything in the masks and, and you need N95, um, we could potentially give it to our patients. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a big supporter of all healthcare workers uh, getting vaccinated. And if, if, I, if I could, I'd, uh, I would mandate it too, uh, like many hospital systems are doing now, because it's not just about protecting um, themselves and their families, about protecting our patients and where we're working. I do appreciate that, um, Dr. Sen, and uh, just look through if we have any additional questions. We have one that just came in saying, do you think it makes sense to uh, vaccinate children if uh, the infection rate is so small among them? Yeah, no, that's a good question. And, and they're right. The infection rate is much lower in children than adults. But if kids get, when they get sick, they can get really sick. They can get something called MISC, multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children, where unfortunately we do see these kids get admitted to the ICU and we do see some die. Uh, so, you know, the odds are that's not going to happen. But if it's your kid or someone you know and love, um, it's going to make a difference. So, um, yeah, I advocate getting now down to five years old with Pfizer if you can get them vaccinated, we just started that um, this week in, in the United States. So um, I've seen some pretty sick kids too. Um, it, luckily it doesn't happen frequently, but when it does, it, it's, and it can be healthy kids, not just immunosuppressed. It could be healthy kids. It just, it's whatever the factor is, a genetic predisposition, who knows what it is, but um, I wouldn't want to roll the dice on my kids. Yeah, one of the things is, you know, Cayman Islands is a very small community and, and yeah. many people are connected in some way or the other. We, we know someone. Um, yeah. And so should there be an unfortunate an unfortunate incident like that, it's, it's going to take a toll on, on the community. So, we, you know, we want to do our absolute best to protect everyone yeah. um, because a, a death in a small little island is, is a bigger deal than a death in, in somewhere that has a much larger population, at least in, in, in my opinion. So... And I'll say it again, that we're also trying to protect their families. So we don't, they're carriers, they, they can be carriers. And although the vaccine doesn't get rid of carriers, it will decrease it, um, decrease the chance of spreading it. So, um, and, and forming new variants, we had Delta. Well, what's the next one that's gonna form a mutation and be resistant to the vaccine? Uh, we pray we don't see that, but that could happen if uh, there's enough, uh, uh, people unvaccinated that just percolate the COVID um, 
disease and the virus mutates into a more resistant strain. So that's what we're trying to avoid, and, and kids will carry it. At our mark, and we don't really have an, um, any more comments that's coming in. I think we got to all of them. But, uh, you know, what, what type of uh, closing remarks would you like to offer the people of the Cayman Islands? Well, we're, we're not out of the woods yet, um, and, and some places are still um, surging up. So uh, just try to, you know, don't let down your guard, uh, you know, don't not live life, but um, do what you can to protect yourself and your family and the vaccine. Like, as I said, masks were appropriate, uh, frequent hand washing, things like that. Uh, we'll get through this. I think COVID uh, is here to stay, but It'll be, uh, we're hoping, like the common cold, where it's just a nuisance at some point in the future. But um, don't let your guard down yet. We're not through this yet. Really appreciate you, Dr. Stan. And, you know, one of the things, um, you know, that, you know, we, we just want to continue to push is to educate yourself, speak to healthcare providers, and we want people to make informed decisions. And, of course, the data is showing um, vaccinate, vaccinate, vaccinate. That's one of the tools that we will be able to use to get out of it. So again, I really appreciate you taking the time, Dr. San, to, to um, you know, spend with my family in the Cayman Islands, more or less. I love everyone there. And so that's why, you know, I'm doing these shows to make sure that I could provide experts to share um, the information that uh, we have um, going on there. Um, I hope you have a wonderful night. And for everyone in Cayman, we're going to end the show with uh, this wonderful note that, again, reopen Cayman. I'm ready to reopen Cayman because it's time that our friends, family, and tourists are able to come once again and visit our beautiful island. When we open up the borders, travel is going to be freer and we're going to be able to travel between countries better. I'm ready to reopen to be reunited with my loved ones living abroad. I'm ready to reopen.